All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. It's good to be back. We were on the Gulf Coast in Texas, <clears throat> left at O'Dark 30 on Monday after a really hectic week and an even more hectic weekend. So it was, it was like, Lord, can, can we do this? <laughs> and uh, by God's grace, we did. And we were down, we flew into San Antonio, and then it was a two-hour drive to Corpus Christi on the coast. And I was mentioning in Sunday school, if you weren't there, we, uh, temperatures reached at times 105, but the humidity was always over 90%. And so it just everything felt wet all the time in our room. Uh, the pages on my Bible were starting to, to wave, you know, how every, everything you touched just felt wet. So it was great to come back. And uh, yesterday I was working out on the acreage and it just felt like it was springtime yesterday here. It just felt so cool. I think it was only 96 and, you know, it, nothing to it. All right. Psalm 103. Psalm 103 and verse 12. As far as the east is from the west... So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Let's pray. Father, help us now in these moments that we have left uh, to, to receive from your word that which is needed. Uh, Father, I don't know, but that there could be some here this morning without Christ. And we pray, Father, this would be the day of days for them. And uh, Lord, maybe someone looking in live stream. Same situation, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would uh, lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for your people, might we gain a greater appreciation once again and be a more grateful people filled with your praises for all that you've done for us. And help me, Lord, uh, Lord, uh, we carry this treasure in earthen vessels. And boy, do we know our flaws and some we don't even know. And so, Lord, uh, only by your Spirit can you anoint and bless and, and bring these truths home to our hearts. For if we labor in our own power, we labor in vain. So we look to you now. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk to you this morning about some analogies or pictures in the Word of God of our cleansing. Ways in which God speaks to us about the thoroughness of our cleansing when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We've spent some time recently in 1 John chapter 1. We took a look at verse 7. The Bible says there, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sins. Aren't you glad for that little three-letter word, all? Aren't you glad that he didn't say, well, I'll take care of 90% of it, and you can handle the other 10%. Believe me, folks, if that's the way it worked, we'd blow the other 10%. We'd figure out a way to mess it up. But uh, it doesn't say that. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through the completed work of Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection, a perfect work, folks. Never to be repeated, because it doesn't need to be repeated. I remember as a Roman Catholic growing up and being taught that the Mass was a reenactment in some form of the sacrifices of Christ. And that when the priest was taking the elements, uh, drinking the wine, and, and, and giving us uh, the elements, he would say the body of Christ. And we were made to understand that this was literally happening all over again and again and again and uh, who knows how many times each day all over the world folks it's a once completed never to be repeated sacrifice because the blood of Jesus Christ God's son cleanses us from all sin Psalm 103 as far as the east is from the west so far hath he removed our transgressions from us what I see here is a great distance, but what I see beyond just a great distance, I don't see a set distance. I see two distances that are opposite, and, and it is as though our transgressions are heading one way, 
and uh, we're the other direction. Uh, the separation is a separation that is growing. When we get up in the morning and sometimes you'll see a beautiful sunrise and, and the orange and the blood red and, and all of that in the east and then the sunset in the west. And oftentimes we are reminded, we are reminded as far as the east is from the west, the blood of Jesus Christ separates us from our sins. You know, in order to really get a grasp, if we can, of large distances, you got to get out into the solar system, the universe, and even uh, at the edges of it, perhaps. Uh, our sun is 93 million miles away. At 70 miles an hour, you'd get there in 152 years. If you didn't stop to eat, if you didn't gas up, or you didn't go to the bathroom. It's a long time for all three. <laughs> and that's just our sun. The nearest visible star, the Alpha Centauri, is four and a third light years away. That is the nearest visible star outside of our solar system. And that's 186,000 miles per second, four and a third light years away. These distances are so astronomical, they can only talk about miles within our solar system, but once you get outside of it, you got to start talking about light years, which they say translates to about six trillion miles. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. We realize that we're only a speck in God's great universe. Uh, we have a video that we put in the bookstore some time ago. It's done by the uh, group of people that are involved in uh, intelligent design. These, these aren't even necessarily all saved scientists and astronomers, but they've come to the conclusion there has to be a designer. There's no way that this is a, an accident of evolution. And if you never had a chance to see it, you should see it. It's called Our Privileged Planet. And it shows all the factors that come into play so that life as we know it can exist on this planet. The air, the water, the slot that we're in the universe, and, and, and all these different things which the odds of all those things just accidentally coming together and then life accidentally springing from that are are so astronomical, they're not even worth considering. But you know what, to me, was one of the best parts of it? These guys pointed out, and again, most of them are not born-again Christians, and some of them are deists or theists, and some of them just really don't know. They just know there's a designer out there. But they said, uh, one of the great things about our planet is we're in a perfect place to observe the rest of the solar system and out there into the universe. Well, my, my, isn't that a good little coincidence? The heavens declare the glory of God. I was talking to my son the other day, and uh, he was telling me about a replacement telescope for the Hubble that they're launching or have launched or whatever, supposedly 800 times uh, what the Hubble was, if, as if that wasn't good enough. And, and you know what they've discovered already? There's more out there than we knew. There's more out there than we knew. As far as the east is from the west, folks, folks we're not talking about Boston to Seattle here. Uh, we're, this is the Alpha and the Omega talking. And as far as the east is from the west. Do you know what? The accuser can accuse us all he wants, but he can't get us back together with our sins. Because God has removed him as far as the east is from the west. You ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are gone. 
Number two, take your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 1. The first analogy is a great distance. The second analogy is a change of color. A change of color. Now, in this day and age of racial consciousness, probably got few people nervous. No, not that. Not that. By the way, if God was going to do that, what color would he change us into? <laughs> That's a silly thought. Verse 18, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We have two analogies here in one. Scarlet to white as snow, red like crimson to wool. He says, come now, let us, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. I, I'm sorry, I don't see a God in eternity past predetermining most of us to spend an eternity in hell with us having nothing to say about it. What does he say? Come now and let us what? Reason together. You know, one of the things the devil would have you to think if you don't know Christ as your Savior is that God is unreasonable. That's not true. He says, come, let's reason together. Scarlet speaks of blood guiltiness before God. The law testifies of our guilt. Conscience testifies of our guilt. Enemies would certainly testify of our guilt. Friends, if they were honest, would testify of our guilt. The same with family. Society could testify of our guilt. Love would testify against us. Decency would testify against us. Honor and certainly God's law. The Bible says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. This scarlet is a deep red. And it relates to a deep red dye of the scarlet worm in the Middle East. The dye that they, they made out of this worm was considered colorfast and indelible and used for only the most expensive garments, garments of royalty. And it speaks of our hopeless condition before we came to Christ as our Savior. A deep, colorfast stain. But look, it'll be as snow. So what does God do in this case? He covers it. He covers it. I, I, that's one nice thing I like about a snowstorm. There's a lot of things that are inconvenient about a snowstorm, but I like the way it, it covers all the scars in the landscape. That, that beautiful blanket, especially right after it snows and... Um, if you ever get up in the mountains on a sunny afternoon where there's a lot of snow out in the snow fields, either in or out of the woods, and the sun is shining, and you'll see that snow just uh, glistening. I remember in Pennsylvania, the, the falls were absolutely gorgeous. October there from about late September to early November, uh, about a five-week period there, where those hills would just light up with those deciduous trees. Uh, for recreation, we would just take the kids, put them in the car, and drive through the hills and, and look at the, the hills lit up with red and orange and yellow and all those beautiful colors. But then all the leaves would fall off those trees. And the hills would be just covered with a sort of, it was like an ugly gray. And then winter would set in and it gets socked in with a lot of clouds, sometimes for weeks at a time. And, 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 and the, the roads would get slushy. And what they used to clean the roads up and, and help you with your traction on the ice was uh, coal ash. And coal ash is just like what it sounds. It's ash from coal. And it's black, and they drop it all over the roads and it would splash up on the, the banks of the snow and the, and the gray and all that. And it just, it just looked ugly. 
But then we'd get a real good snowstorm. And after that snowstorm, the, the clouds would clear out and the sky would get blue and, and the beauty, the beauty of that covering, clean, crisp, pure, and refreshing. Just as a, as a soul can be stained as it can possibly be, it can be as pure and clean as it can possibly be. The Bible says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Notice also now, crimson, crimson. Though, it's, though our sins be red like crimson. Uh, when I think of that, I think of 1 Timothy chapter 5, where Paul said, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Uh, some people are better at hiding their sins, but those people still go to judgment. But then uh, he says, Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Crimson indicates the blush or the shame of sin. Some of us here this morning, we were obviously sinners. We were obviously sinners. I've, uh, I've been on an elevator where I got on the elevator at the hospital and there were two sweet-looking old ladies standing there in front of me, smiling and just exuding niceness. And I went to give them a track. And uh, when that door opened on that elevator and I stepped out, it looked like I had lost a fight with a bobcat. <laughs> and then I've, I've told you the story about the biker that got off his bike one time in front of the hardware store and big burly guy and, and leather and sleeveless and tattoos and chains and just nastiness written all over him. And he had on his, on his big bicep, he had evil, wicked, mean, and nasty written on there. And for those of you that didn't ever heard the story... God tapped me on the shoulder and said, give that guy a track. And I thought, thanks, Lord. <laughs> so I get the martyr's crown today. That's how it goes, huh? And uh, so I, I just thought, well, I'm not going to fool around with this one. We're going to go for it. There's no sense in being timid on this one. And I, I just blurted out. I, he had just got off his bike, and he was walking away. And I said, hey, hey, evil, wicked, mean, and nasty. And he turned and looked at me. <laughs> I said, are you really evil, wicked, mean, and nasty? He goes, he looked at his hands and said, yeah. <laughs> I said, do you know where evil, wicked, mean, and nasty people go when they die? He goes, yeah, hell. <laughs> That's further than some of you have got with some of your relatives <laughs> after years of trying. And long story short, <laughs> got a chance to witness to him. He didn't drop to his knees and get saved there, but I didn't get my head bit off either. And uh, so this, this crimson speaks of the blush of sin. Sometimes we can, you can just tell somebody's a sinner, huh? How about the maniac of Gadara? I'll bet you everybody knew Mary Magdalene was a sinner. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, she ran back, she ran back from her encounter with Jesus back into town and said, Come see a man that all things, that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And a bunch of nervous guys came running. <laughs> guys that were in her little appointment book. How about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, he was a hated tax collector. The Jews hated those tax collectors, especially the, the, the Jewish ones that had, in their minds, had sold out to Rome. How about Peter's open denial of Christ? How about Thomas's declaration of unbelief? How about David's adultery and murder? How about all of the disciples forsaking Christ 
But they all said, we're with you, Lord, through this whole thing. You got any crimson going on in your life today? Well, look at the verse. That crimson can be as wool. Can be as wool. They say there was a soap that they used. It was a soap that scoured. It had a strong alkali quality to it. And it removed the yolk or the discoloration of that crimson. You know, Pilate tried water. But water won't do it. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sins. But this man, Hebrews chapter 7, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You crimson sinner this morning, God can still... God can still change your color. You a Christian here this morning, you've committed some crimson sins. You know what we worry about sometimes and so foolishly? You think about it, pride is a problem before we get saved. We won't come to Christ because of our pride. But pride is a problem after we're saved. Oh, I committed a sin and I blew it in front of the brethren. Yeah, maybe you did. You blew it in front of all those perfect brethren who have never blown it. <laughs> yep, you're the only one. And by the way, you're the only one that's ever blown it. Yeah. Well, no, I gave you a couple other examples. You know, Peter and a few others. But, you know, you guys are a very small community. <laughs> you know, as a preacher, <clears throat> you stay in one, pra- one place and preach a long time. You-, you get to blow it in front of your own congregation every once in a while. Amen? You've blown it with your family. You've blown it at work. So you've been knocked down. Well, you know what? Get up. Because crimson can turn back to wool. A change of a color. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. The third analogy is the removal of a great burden. The removal of a great burden. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter, John's saying, you know, blowing it crimson where everybody can see it. It's a blush. I, I've, I've heard of preachers up there preaching, and, you know, some of us come from a rough background. And the guy's preaching along, and all of a sudden, word doesn't come out right. And he says a potty mouth word from the pulpit. I've never done that one, at least not yet. Now, I did what I did in Sunday school this morning. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. All right. The, the little story I told you. Time to move on. <laughs> so, what should we do when we blow it in front of everybody? How badly did Peter blow it in front of the other disciples? But we see him in Acts 2 preaching and thousands are coming to Christ. My first pastor used to have an expression. He said, we're all painted with the same brush, aren't we now? 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He bear our sins. He bear our sins. He got under the burden. Think of the burden of your sins. I remember before I got saved, before I knew anything about the gospel, as a lost religious kid, the, the, the burden of my sin, people must have been praying for me. My guilt, uh, the Spirit of God convincing me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I, I had heard about the Peace Corps. I don't even know if they have that anymore. But they used to advertise the Peace Corps and you could go to other countries and teach them how to plant corn and all that. I don't know how I was going to do that. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I thought corn grew in cans. But honestly, I was so burdened about my sin, I thought about, well, what if I joined an outfit like that? Brother Dennis, I'm looking for Brother Dennis Wells. I don't see him here this morning. Before he went to Papua New Guinea, he was telling somebody he was working with where he was going, and the guy didn't get it. And you're going, Where? To do what? 
mission work, whatever. And here's what he said. He says, man, you, you, sure have, you sure must have a bunch of sins you need to work off. <laughs> the little kids sing the song, roll away, roll away, roll away. Let every burden of my heart roll away. And that's what the Lord did with our sins. I preach this message called the five judgments of scripture, if you remember. And the first judgment is this very verse. This first judgment is us going to judgment with Christ at Calvary for the judgment of the penalty of our sins once forever. And the great thing about this judgment is Christ did it for us. And he took the burden away. <coughs> Think of a pile of dirt in your yard. Doesn't look like much, but it weighs a lot. You go to a construction site and you see a, a, a large piles of dirt, sometimes topsoil. And you don't think of the weight of all that. And then you go to a quarry. And the burden of our sin was not unlike this. In 1980, when St. Helens, Mount St. Helens blew. There was right at 6,313,000,000 people in the world. And there were 7 billion tons of earth moved when that thing blew. And it was approximately one ton of earth for each person in the world. Folks, truth be known, our burden before we trusted Christ was not unlike a ton of earth spiritually speaking. David said in Psalm 38, for mine iniquities are gone over my head as in heavy burden they are too heavy for me. Pilgrim's progress, Pilgrim gets to Calvary and, and that burden he'd been carrying around rolls, rolls off of his back. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 4 and we'll go to the fourth analogy. You know, I was thinking about this just the other day. I don't know what made me think about it, but after you've been saved a long time, you, you forget what it was like to be lost. Now, I don't think we should spend too much time thinking about the old life, but it isn't a bad idea every once in a while to go back to the hole of the pit from which we were hewn, as God's Word says, and just take a look once in a while and remind ourselves of what we were delivered from. And I remember before I got saved, that was one of the most profound things, was the release of that burden that I carried. Here's another one. This one is a quenched thirst. John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus with the woman at the well, and he answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's said that we're 73% we're water in our bodies. You can, go, you can go months without food, but only days without water. Christ said, you take of this water, you'll never thirst. You'll never thirst. It's reported that a person uses 25 gallons of water on average for a shower, 36 gallons for a bath, 20 gallons to shave if done with tap water running, 45 gallons to machine wash nine pounds of laundry. All told, the average consumption per capita for all purposes, including municipal, industrial, agricultural, amounts to 1,100 gallons a day. Bottom line, we need water. And how many find the spiritual water that they really need? This woman had come to Jacob's well. This woman had come to the deceiver's well. And like the ancient mariner, water, water everywhere, but not a real drop to drink. They say at the bar, there's happy hour at the watering hole. I've told you the stories about flying from here to Las Vegas to preach in a meeting, and the flight out there, 
is a bunch of merrymaking fools just having a ball. But the flight back is a whole different story. And why is that? That which they had tried to quench their thirst with turned out to be seawater and left them thirsty. 97.3% of the world's water is ocean and unfit for drinking. Of the 2.7% of water that is fresh, over three quarters are at the two poles. And a large portion of the other quarter is trapped as so-called fossil water deep underground. Thus, only 0.36 of 1% of all the world's water is available in drinkable form on the earth's surface for man. And these are found in rivers, lakes, and swamps. You know what that reminds me of? Religion covers the earth. But still, most people are thirsty. I think of the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And, and when the priest came by who represented religion, the Bible says, and by chance the priest came by. By chance. Do you know that's, that's how most of us got the religion we were born with? By chance. We lived in a a highly Catholic area or a highly Mormon area or a highly Buddhist area or whatever. <clears throat> and people get their religion by chance that way. But it's like that water that doesn't quench the thirst. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Isaiah 55, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the water of life this morning is free. Jesus twice asked for water during his life, and he never got it. Once at John 4, and the other time on the cross. And you know why that is? He went thirsty, that we might drink of the living waters. Revelation 22 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. If you're saved here this morning, you know when that thirst has been quenched and you don't go back to Jacob's well. You've said to yourself, this is it. This is life. I'm not going back to the stagnant water of ritualistic religion. I'm not going to go back to the pop or the fizz of liberal religion. I'm not going to go back to the alcohol of the philosophy of, of this world. And I'm not going to go back to the pond water of stagnant ritual religion. Take your Bibles and go to a couple pages over to John chapter 6. And the next analogy is a satisfied hunger. John chapter 6 and verse 33 Jesus speaking here, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I think it's a good idea for us as Christians to fast now and then for a number of reasons. For a number of reasons. I've often thought that fasting highlights our prayers. You can't arm bend God, but it does highlight our prayers. I think it's a good self-discipline to put the flesh down. But I think it'll put the seriousness back into saying grace over the meals. We live in a country where our biggest problem is too much food. The assistant director of the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization reported several years ago that about 460 million people, as we speak, are on the brink of starvation daily. The World Health Organization estimated that approximately one-third of the world is well-fed, that'd be us, one-third is underfed, and one-third is in some stage or process of starving. 
Four million people a year die of starvation, and 70% of the children in the world under six are undernourished. Thus, 30 persons die of starvation in this world every minute. I've, I've never been to India, but I'm told that in the bigger cities, Calcutta, New Delhi, uh, they actually have people that are paid by the municipality that walk around with little wooden flat carts just to pick up the bodies that have died of starvation and haul them off. A satisfied hunger. The greatest famine on record was after World War I. 27 million people starved. We do live in the land of plenty, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not here to make you feel guilty about that. I'm just hoping when it's all said and done, we'll learn to be thankful for it. And, and even more, <clears throat> excuse me, than having physical bread, God has given us the spiritual bread. And we are full today. We are full today. You know, I think sometimes we're, we're full to the point of being spoiled. I won't speak for you, but I know I am. I got a hold of uh, a set of tapes one time years back. I still got them. I, I don't even know if they play anymore, you know. Cassettes sit around for long enough and nobody uses them anymore. But it was called Voices from the Past, Preachers of, Preachers of Yesteryear. And, and it actually had a, uh, about a, a five-minute recording of D.L. Moody preaching. Very crude Early forms of recording off the cylinders with the needle and all that stuff. Very scratchy. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it was just a small snapshot. But, uh, you know, it wasn't anything all that noteworthy. It's just that because it was Moody's voice, it was, it was pretty for profound as far as I was concerned to hear it. You know what I think we get sometimes being fed the word? We get, we get spoiled when it comes to preaching. We do. Oh, him. I've heard him before. Oh, that message. Is he going to preach that again? Oh, that verse. Why do we have to turn? I have it memorized. And all around us in this world, there are people that will go to church and the Bible will not be opened. The Bible will not be quoted. Philosophies and men's opinions will be given. And a false gospel that is at best a placebo that will send them to hell as soon as they take their last breath. I think sometimes we can get spoiled. One of the famines in Russia in 1932-1933, a peasant described the famine as follows, quote, we've eaten everything we could lay our hands on, <clears throat> excuse me, cats, dogs, <clears throat> field mice, birds. When it's light tomorrow, you will see the trees stripped of their bark, and the horse manure has been eaten. Sometimes there are whole grains in it. At the siege of Leningrad, <clears throat> excuse me, during the Second World War, they said that people resorted to eating the glue that was holding the wallpaper to the walls. You know, you get hungry enough, you'll eat just about anything. If you've ever fasted any length of time, oh, say a week or more, I've, I've been on one of those where I was looking at the dandelions and wondered what they would taste like with a little oil and vinegar on them. And, uh, and yet, God has not only fed us physically here in this country, but he's given us the word of God. There's countries, folks, where it's not legal to have the Bible, and people in the church feel blessed if they have one page. And sometimes it's a handwritten page, and they, they get to have it for a day. <clears throat> and then they have to pass it on. To the next church member, we are truly blessed, folks. We are truly blessed. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Isaiah 55, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, 
and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. My wife, she's such a blessing. When we were younger, I was a chow hound. I, I can still put it down a little bit, but man, I remember my only criteria for whether a restaurant was good or not was how much food you got. And a large pizza, forget it. I, I could eat a pizza the size, the, 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 the diameter of this pulpit. And she finally figured out why she was so, so skinny when we were younger. She never got anything to eat. I was a fast eater and a chow hound, and she'd still be eating. I'd be just sitting there going, you can eat that? You can eat that? You can eat that? And she'd finally just shove it over. You know what she figured out? We'd go to a restaurant. She wouldn't order what she liked. She would order what I didn't like. <laughs> so she got something to eat. God bless her. She's a saint. A satisfied hunger. Satisfied hunger. And then lastly, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And then notice verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. A lapse of memory. God, who has a perfectly good memory, imagine, imagine forgetting our sins. A 22-year-old law student at the University of Padua in Italy gave the following demonstration of an astounding memory in the year 1561. He listened to one continuous recital of 36,000 words of gibberish, barbarous, disconnected, and meaninglessness, a sort of 16th century double talk. After this single audition, he was able to repeat the entire six-hour-long recital from memory either in the original order or reversed. He could also spice up his performance by alternately skipping every second or third word. That, that's crazy. I, I can't imagine anybody having a memory like that. But you want to know something? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he's got a memory that would put that to shame. And yet the Bible says their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God's memory, a perfect memory, a perfect memory that is decided to forget, a perfect memory gone blank under the blood of Jesus, that's got to frustrate the devil. That's got to frustrate the devil. The accuser of the brethren stands there before the throne of God just outside of the precipice of heaven and says, look at him. Look at her. I can tell you what they did. God looks and says, I just see my son there in whom I am well pleased. You know what he did. No. <laughs> That's got to drive the devil nuts. We talked recently about have you forgiven yourself. You know, if God has forgiven your sins, then why don't, why don't you forget them? If he's forgotten them, why don't you? You know, see, here's the biggest danger. You say, well, <clears throat> you know, I'll do a little Baptist penance because that's a really, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more spiritual than most people, so I, I can show you how spiritual I'm. I'll do a little Baptist penance. But see, the problem with focusing on your past sins after you've confessed them is now you're looking at them. And guess what happens when we look at sin? There's a reason you sin to start with. The Bible says the pleasures of sin are for what? And you keep wallowing around in there, and eventually you're back to doing them again. God wants you to walk away from all that. 
Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. How much more, Hebrews chapter 9, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So you ask me why I'm happy, and I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. They're in the sea of God's forgetfulness. And that should be good enough for you and me. Praise God. My sins are gone. By the way, we'll close with this idea here this morning. If God's forgiven you and forgotten your sins, how about if you do that for your brother or sister in Christ? Be kind one to another. Ephesians chapter 3 verse or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And uh, I just figured we'd let the word of God speak for itself. And so, Lord, would you speak these words to our hearts? Whatever is necessary, Lord, Use it. We pray for that one without Christ, perhaps in this building or looking in on live stream, Father. We pray that they would bow their heart, bow their minds, and even bow the knee in repentance and turn to Jesus Christ from their sins and receive him as their personal Savior. That these analogies to cleansing and so many more that we didn't even talk about this morning might be theirs today. Lord, for those of us that have been saved a long time, and God, it's going to be 50 years next month, 50 years, where you turn my crimson into wool, my scarlet into snow. You drove my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. You quenched my thirst and fed me with the bread of life. And Lord, you've had to forget a bunch, even in these last 50 years, of my sins and iniquities. Help me to go forth from this place, filled with praise and gratitude for a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Help us, Lord, to go out of this place today as ambassadors for you. And as our good brother likes to say, go out there and make Jesus famous. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 308, number 308. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood.
come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Thanks for being here this week. Amen, brother. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for feeding us. And, uh, Lord, we are reminded, just looking out at the world around us, Lord, they are they're needy. Lord, uh, groping, Lord, for light, groping for identity. Lord, just no idea where who they are, where they're going. And, Lord, we have it all in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, uh, help us not to take it for granted. Lord, for me personally, just hearing that, Lord, what we just heard was... Um, Lord, uh, for me, a small rebuke, Lord, about the fact that there, there's days that go by where we just, for me personally, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't appreciate in fullness, Lord, all that you've done for me, Lord. And Lord, I just pray you give us a renewed sense of that, Lord, as we hear these words, let them sink in. And Lord, as we go on and, Lord, uh, uh, talked about religion, Lord, help us not to... Uh, not to view, Lord, coming to church is just part of the ritual. Lord, I pray that today truly would be a, a moment, a time in which we can hear from you, Lord, draw closer to you and apply what we heard. Lord, we love you and thank you for the life that you've given us. Lord, it is the best life and uh, we, we don't want to take it for granted. Lord, help us to go out and make a difference with what we heard. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.